Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We're going to get into it. I'm going to read a couple of verses to begin with out of St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. I'm going to begin and read in verse 19, and I believe most of these verses will be on the screen for you. Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, 19, and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to talk to you from a Bible study tonight from a question, where is your treasure? Pray with me. God, thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for the good testimony tonight, and I pray that you'd teach us now as we look to your word. Father, I pray that you would bless our youth, our children, our teachers, God, as they minister your word all over this property tonight, God. And I pray that you would instruct us now by your word from your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Very familiar passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 6. It's, a, it's the sermon commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest teaching passage recorded in the Bible. And in verse 19, he tells us that you can either lay up treasure on earth or you can lay up treasure in heaven. He says one can be destroyed and the other one won't be destroyed. And in verse 21, he tells us how to find out where our heart is going to be. Our heart's going to be wherever our treasure is. And it, it's interesting the vantage point that I get as a pastor because I get to see a deeper look into people's lives than almost anyone else you know they say your bartender knows a lot about you they say your hairdresser knows a lot about you well if you're committed to the Lord your pastor really knows a whole lot about you so I hear the good and the bad and I get to see people come and get saved and get fired up and it's so cool to see somebody excited about their faith but then as they get hanging around church members they they get that water drizzled on their fire and their fire starts to go out and then they just drift into a sea of complacency, and, and, and they're not as excited as they used to be. And that's a tough scenario to watch. But I understand that life happens, and life can be tough. Anybody agree with that? We, we, we go through things. We, we, we have people pulling on us, tugging on us all the time. Life in and of itself can be hard just on the daily grind, just on doing what we have to do. But then sometimes uh, you have a week like I had, I, and you get some really bad news. And... I get the double benefit, the triple benefit, the quad 500 benefit of not only having my own bad news, but I usually get a lot of bad news from other people all week long, too, under the pastor pray for me. I just found out, and then there's all the bad news coming, and so I, I try to bear that for them and pray for them. But I got some difficult news this week, so I'll ask you guys to pray for me. Um, a little over two years ago, well, no, actually, two years ago this weekend, I had a back surgery this coming weekend, um, to repair uh, several discs in my lower back that I tore up in a lawnmower accident. And um, the surgery went fine. They 
the recovery wasn't what they said it would be. They said I'd be off my feet for three weeks. I drove to church the next day, uh, which they said I shouldn't have done. And I know I ne never, I couldn't stop when you're a single parent. I mean, I still have to climb up and down the stairs. I still have to do the laundry. I still have to get my kids fed. I still have to get my kids to school, get them to bed and all that. Um, so I, I know that I, I didn't do a great job in my recovery and the doctors weren't pleased with that. But five months after the surgery, we went on a staff retreat to the mountains and because there was a sign that said, um, danger, falling rocks, do not proceed past this sign. Hikers have died on this mountain um, on this dangerous slope. Um, I thought, well, this ought to be cool. We're going to see something. We had pulled over in this spot because at going up to our cabin where we were staying, we could see this incredible waterfall, but it was just blocked off by woods, and they had mounded up giant rocks to keep people away from this thing. So I'm like, we can climb those rocks. So... Dina was with me, and Jake and Seth were with me, and Dina's like, I'm not climbing over all that. And I'm like, hey, you know, I got to see it. And so I told my boys, y'all follow behind me. I won't do anything too dangerous. And we've always been on the thrill-seeker edge, so we climb over this 30-foot-tall mountain of rocks, climb back down the other side of it, and there's this incredible waterfall. And so we walk out on it because there's dry spots when the water's rushing down and there's wet spots. Well, as, as life would happen... Um, I stepped on some slick rock and fell halfway down the mountain on, on this waterfall. And as I looked up to my panic, Seth screaming, Dad, Dad, I'm coming. Because he saw I was about to fall off the edge. Like, he's going to come down there, and he, you know, 70 pounds, and he's going to grab me. Up. And I told him, don't move. And thank God my kids listen very well when I scream at them. Um, they've learned that I'm, what I'm telling you, I'm telling you for your benefit, because if he would have stood, stepped on that slimy rock, um, he, he may have not have held on to the edge, and he may have went over. Uh, but anyway, tore my back up, went through the retreat week, ministered to the staff, came back, saw my doctor, told him what happened. He said, well, we need to get you in for another MRI. And I told him, you know, yeah, and I, my insurance, I didn't have insurance, I said, you know, we, uh, when, our, when our church transitioned over here, the staff took a 30% cut in pay. I lost my insurance. My insurance, uh, you know, thanks to the uh, horrible insurance system this country has, my insurance is $1,531 a month, like I could afford that. And so that got, that got chopped out, out of my uh, compensation package when we all took a big cut in pay. And so I never got the other MRI. That's the moral of the story. I never got the second MRI. He was convinced that I had uh, torn up my back in the fall and re-injured anything that they had done. Uh, about a month ago, I finally went and uh, found a place because they kept telling me you need to get this back checked because it's been progressively getting worse. And um, I found a place that would take cash and let me pay cash. Uh, so I went and paid cash for an MRI and sat down this week with my doctor and looked at it. And he said, but my back is significantly worse than it's ever been. This, this MRI looks way worse than the original MRI before the surgery. So the moral of the story is I wasted time on a surgery two years ago um, that they want me to have another surgery, but I'm not interested in that. Uh, they want me to have a mechanical device implanted in my back that squirts pain medicine into me periodically. I'm not interested in that. Uh, so pray for me that God will supernaturally heal my back uh, as it gets worse, that's discouraging emotionally. Um, it's, it's discouraging uh, 
to, to hear that my back is worse than it ever was, to see that I've got more bulging discs. I've got, a, I've got more bulging discs than I had when they cut on me, and I've got a deeper protrusion into my sciatic nerve now from a herniated disc uh, in my L5 than I had before. So the numbness down my left leg hopefully won't lead to uh, limited motion. Y'all pray that I can keep moving my left leg, and I'll, I'll keep standing up here and preaching the truth. But the enemy knows how to throw water on your parade. The enemy knows how to bring whatever you need to mess you up. Some people are easily given to anger, and the devil will bring anger issues their way. Violence bring violence. Fear of being broke and bring money problems. Um, depression and bring depression problems. One of my biggest concerns in life, outside of God, my biggest concerns in life are my kids. And that's all we have. You know, all know my story. My kid's mother died when they were two and four years old. And we're all we got. I, I saw some friends last night at Cracker Barrel from an old church I used to minister in. And I've introduced my kids, and they're like, oh, we know them. We've watched them grow up on Facebook. And um, they were just talking about ministry and different things. And I was talking to them about how we eat out every night. And they're like, well, seriously, how often do you eat out? I'm like, every night. I'm being literal. We eat out every night because this, it's just us three, and this is how we do life. And one of my biggest concerns for the last five years, because it's been almost five years now since I had this accident, haven't been able to be the dad I want to be to my kids. I haven't been able to play with my kids, wrestle with my kids, be as involved with my kids. They, they've seen me in more pain than kids ought to see a parent in. I don't want my kids' memory of their dad to be dad's back was always hurting and he, he didn't play with us as much as we wanted him to. And so the devil knows what's important to me and how to attack me. And so now to get this report, it's like, so it's only going to get worse from here. Um, and my kids are getting older and my back's not getting any better. So emotionally, if I don't let the Lord give me supernatural grace to understand that he's in control he's in control and that my kids are his ultimate responsibility and then that can be overwhelming for me so the moral of the story is we can all have a bad week been a bad week for me been emotionally overwhelming for me because I wanted I've been wanting for a long time for this to get better we've got so many great opportunities right now uh, for ministry we've got so many connections that we're developing inside this community, so many different ways that we're helping people inside this community and around the world. I really need to get better. I really came into 2017 with a mindset of total health, that physically I was going to get past this back issue, it, that, that we were as a church, we're going to grow spiritually and emotionally and relationally and financially. And I need God to do a miracle in my back. So if you believe that God can do miracles, then be uh, agreeing with me for a miracle in my back. I think that would be awesome. Uh, I love to be able to throw something back in doctors' faces um, and in the devil's face when they, when they think that they, they've exhausted all uh, hope, that they don't realize that there's hope beyond what they know. So I don't know what kind of week you're having. You might be having a good week or a bad week. But I want to talk to you about how you can make sure that you stay focused during good weeks and bad weeks. Because I believe that every real Christian wants to be a good Christian. Every real Christian wants to honor God. He's our Heavenly Father. We want our Heavenly Father 
to be proud of us. And in our text, Jesus says that we have a choice where we store up our treasure. He says you can store it up on the earth or you can store it up in heaven. Now, as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know, most people don't really do a good job storing up treasure in either place. The statistics show that 98% of Americans reach the age 65 unable to maintain their current standard of living. Not prepared for retirement. Unable to pay their bills at, at that point in life. Why? Because most people did not lay up treasure at all on earth. And the flip side is they probably didn't lay up much treasure in heaven either because more people are concentrating on laying up stuff on earth than in heaven. I saw a statistic that the writer of this uh, news site said was shocking, but I thought it was shockingly good because I'd seen it be much higher. His research showed that over 75% of Americans do not have $500 in the bank that they can access. And he was shocked at over 75%. And the last time I'd read it, I'd read one site that listed over 90% don't have $500 that they could lay their hands on. Now, if you're really poor financially, because remember, the Bible says that God has chosen those who are poor financially to be rich in faith. So there's different ways to be rich. But if you're poor financially, you, you should be encouraged. You're not the only one because I believe at least 90% of Americans couldn't put their hands on $500 right now to save their child's life. That's sad. That tells me that people aren't laying up treasure on earth. Jesus said you can either lay up treasure on earth or you can lay up treasure in heaven. But most people aren't doing either, and I want to encourage you to do both. Do both. Lay up treasure in both places, but make sure that your concentration is what you lay up in heaven. Lay up treasure in both places because you need to be a faithful steward of what God gives you. And if you spend... Steward means manager, you want one, one who manages something on the behalf of someone else. All the money that I have belongs to the Lord, and he allows me to manage it, and the Bible says I have to be faithful in the way I manage it. All of the money you have, same way. So if we believe that the Bible teaches what the Bible teaches is true, then we need to be faithful with how we account for this money. And if you spend everything that you have, you're not being faithful to it. If you're com coming up short every week, you're not being faithful to it. We've got to learn how to be more faithful with the money that we have. Well, Pastor, I just don't make enough. Well, you prob there are probably people who make less than you, and they get by. What's going on? There's a hole in the bucket somewhere. There's a drain. There's more going out somehow than coming in. And I'm not going to give you a budgeting class, but you need to get in a budgeting class. I'm not going to do it tonight. You need to get in a budgeting class. You need to find out how to get on track so that you can start putting a portion of your money aside so that you will have something if God decides to let you be here another 10 years. The Bible says that righteous people leave an inheritance to their children's children. You ought to be setting something aside every week. I am not a believer in the theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, typically called the Mormon Church. Their theology is horrible. They're a cult. They don't believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. And the Bible says that anyone who says that Jesus is not God come in the flesh has the spirit of Antichrist. So they're not a Christian church, but they do some very morally upright things. And they have some wonderful teaching. They mandate that all of their dedicated members pay tithe 10% off, off their income 
and set 10% aside in their savings account of every dime that they get. They also mandate that every one of their families has at least one year of canned goods on supply in case of natural disaster. I mean, they do some heady things, but they're not a Christian church. What am I saying? If a whole cult full of people can give 10% of their income to their church with no God in that at all, but only 2% of the Christian church pays tithes, then, then they're doing something, you know, they're getting more out of their members than the average Christian church is getting out of their members. And if without God in their life or the Holy Spirit inside them to guide them, they're wise enough to set aside 10% of their income in savings so that on a rainy day they, they won't fall through the hole in the floor, then they're obviously teaching some things that the world needs to hear. I don't believe there's a person alive that can't afford to tithe. I don't believe there's a person alive that can't afford to set aside something every week out of their check. And I've given this challenge to people left, right, and sideways. And if you think that you're that one, come talk to me, and I will prove to you in less than five minutes that you have more money than you think you have. If you really believe, Pastor, I can't afford to tithe. I just, I'm not making enough right now. I'm in a job that's not paying me well. You come see me, and I will prove to you that you not only can afford to tithe, but you can afford to set money aside. If you'll be honest with me with your budget, I will show you how you can make that work. But Jesus shows this contrast between where you can lay up your treasure, either on earth or in heaven. And here's what he says in verse 21. Put verse 21 on the screen. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the deal. I think every real Christian wants to be a good Christian. The problem is we have a real enemy. Not only do we have a real enemy, we got whack people in our lives. We, 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 got, we got a lot of evil around us, and we got ourselves to deal with. Okay, so that's enough. I, I mean, we, we, got, we got our own flesh and our own mental issues. We got this war in our minds. We got this battle between good and evil going on. We got a very real opposition in, in a, not just a devil, but an entire dark demonic host of oppression trying to pull us apart. So we, we've got this battle for our heart and where our heart will be established and settled. But Jesus gives the answer to how to establish and settle where your heart will be. Your heart will be where? Wherever your treasure is. Now, based on verse 19 and 20, who's deciding where you put your treasure? You are. He, he, said, uh, he said, lay up for yourselves. You decide where you lay up your treasures, whether you lay them up on the earth so your heart is going to be connected to the earth or whether you lay your treasures up in heaven and then your heart will be connected to treasure in heaven. I'm going to give you the punchline before you all fall asleep. It's hard to be a good Christian. It is hard to be a good Christian. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how holy you think you are. It is hard. The better Christian you are, the harder it is. Because the battle rages most greatly on the front line. And the devil would rather take down the front line soldiers than the back line soldiers. Not do anything anyhow. It's hard to be a good Christian. It's impossible to consistently be a good Christian with a divided heart. It is impossible to consistently please God if your heart is torn between heaven and earth. And if your heart is too connected to, to the earth, then you're not going to be what you want to be as far as a Christian goes. And I wish that the world would eradicate from their 
vocabulary and their mindset that someone's too heavenly minded to be too any earthly good. I've heard people say that about their Jesus freak family. Well, he, he's just too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Nobody's ever been that heavenly minded. You can't be, if you're that heavenly minded, you're way good to the earth because you got a lot of good mind and a lot of good ideas and you're doing a lot of good things. So we need to get to the place where our heart is connected to heaven. Why? Because if your heart is connected to heaven, it's going to be easier to make the right choice when you come to that fork in the road. If your heart is attached to heaven, then it's going to be easier for you to honor God and to be a good Christian. Without God, you're not going to make it. You're constantly going to be falling flat wondering, why do I fail as a Christian so much? Well, the reason why I believe for a big part is because your heart is more connected to the earth than it is to heaven. And I want you to get this. I'm going to say it again. You decide where your heart connects. You decide which realm your heart connects to the most, whether it's this earthly realm or the heavenly realm. If your heart is connected more to the earthly realm, then when life happens, you are going to be blown away, devastated, and hurt. You're going to be destroyed emotionally. If your heart is connected to the earthly realm and the only picture you're looking at is this life right here, then the issues of life's daily in and out process are going to overwhelm you consistently and you're not going to be able to be joyful in the Lord. But if you are connected more to heaven than you are to the earth, you will allow the obstacles of this life to roll off you like water off a duck's back. And you'll be able to say with the saints of old, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. If your heart is more connected to heaven than it is to the earth, you will be able to say in the face of life's greatest disappointment, This is not my home anyway. I'm just a stranger passing through. My citizenship is in heaven. And this light affliction is but for a moment. And the greater time that I will spend will be in eternity more so than on this planet. So you got to decide. Where do you want your heart to connect to most greatly? Would you rather it be connected to the earth so earth moves you constantly? See, if your heart's connected to the earth, every time the earth moves, you're, you're moved. But if your heart's connected to heaven, the earth moving doesn't mess with you that much. Because you already know that, that, that people are wicked. So, so people letting you down is not going to bother you that much. You already know that people are sinful. So somebody failing that you looked up to is not going to bother you that much. If, if your heart is connected to heaven, you already know that this life is temporal, but eternity is forever. So, so process is not going to bother you that much but if your heart is connected to heaven then it's going to be easier for you to read the bible and hear from god if your heart is connected to heaven it's going to be easier for you to pray and feel like god hears you but you decide whether or not your heart is connected more to heaven or your heart is more connected to the earth because jesus said wherever your treasure is that's where your heart's going to be and he said you get to lay up treasure in heaven or you get to lay up treasure in earth. The bottom line is you're going to love the place the most where you store the most. You're going to love the place the most where you store the most. If you're storing up more in this life, if you think more about this life, if, if it's all about the kids and the bills and, and the grind and the job, then, then that, that's what your love affair is going to be revolving around. And that's not, that's not good enough for, for, for you to love. That's not worthy of your worship. But if you're laying up in heaven, then heaven is going to be what you're connected to. And you're going to love the thought of what heaven means to us. We'll love where we put our treasure. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about some different judgments that the Bible talks about. And one of those judgments 
It's the judgment seat of Christ. We looked at that, and that's a judgment for Christians. And it's going to be a time where one by one, it's going to take a long time. Good thing heaven's forever. It's going to take a long time. Imagine this scenario. Jesus sitting on a throne called the, the Bema seat, the judgment seat. And each person, one by one, is going to come up to Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, Alyssa, I gave my life for you. And I gave you everything that you needed to be a successful Christian woman on the earth. I gave you everything that pertains to life and godliness. I dwelled you with my spirit, and I blessed you. And now let's look at what you did for me. And then all of the things that Alyssa's done for the Lord are going to be reviewed. And some she'll be rewarded for, and others she won't be rewarded for. Now, people are like, well, what, they going to look at all our sin? No, sin is not judged for the Christian. Sin was judged on the cross at the Christian. Works are judged. For the Christian. So it's only the works that you do for Christ that get judged. But some of the works that we do for Christ, we don't do with a pure motive. Some of the, some of the effort that we've done, some people spent their whole life in a ministry that they weren't really happy and doing it joyfully, doing it. They did it with bitterness, and they thought that they'd keep on doing it because they, that's how they serve God. They're going to get to heaven and find out it meant nothing to God at all, and they got nothing for it. That's why the Bible says some will get rewarded and some will suffer loss. How devastating would that be to find out everything you thought you'd ever done for Christ, you got nothing for it, and you have nothing to offer him for it because he never saw it as valuable because you complained your way through it because your heart wasn't in the right place when you did it. Let's look at some verses and try to make some sense out of it. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, the word says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We, talking to Christians, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So it's talking about these works, whether these works are deemed by God as good or bad. Well, let's look for a greater. That's 2 Corinthians, which is uh, an expounding on the first letter to the Corinthians. Let's look at what Paul taught the Corinthians in the, his first letter in chapter 3 about this judgment. Because he explained this judgment in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. He said, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's some wordiness. What it literally is saying is, there's no other foundation that you can build on other than Jesus. For the Christian, our foundation is Jesus, and we build our lives on him. The verse 12 says, now if any man build on this foundation, and then it gives the building material. Now there's six building materials that God says we build with. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. These six are divided into good and bad, three and three. Guess which ones are the good? The first ones, those are better building materials than the second three. We want to build with gold, silver, and precious stone, not wood, hay, and stubble. Why? Verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. Jesus is going to show you everything you ever thought you did for God, every service you ever thought you had, every time you ever came to church. Where was your mind? Were you really paying attention? Were you listening? Were you, were you truly involved in the good things that you did, or did they count for bad in God's eyes? Every work shall be made manifest. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Well, they did a lot of blacksmithing in the first century because people had horses and they had to have blacksmiths, and, and they made armor, and they had, to, they had kilns, and they had... Uh, big furnaces that they would put stuff in and they would have to heat up 
the, the metal and the, the bad stuff would float to the top and they would scrape the dross, it's called, off the metal, the junk inside metal. When they wanted to make a pure shield or a pure sword, they would put all this metal in a big pot and it heated up hot, 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 and, and the impurities would come up to the top. It's the same way they purify gold even to this day, and they scrape off all the junk off the top of it to get a more pure metal. So fire... They were understanding that fire determined what was pure and what was impure, what was good and what was bad. So this is, this is the analogy he's given. It's going to be tried by fire. In verse 14, it says, If any man's work abide, which he has built thereon, he shall receive a reward. So your life's going to go through this furnace. The review of your life's going to go through this furnace, and all your works are going to go through this furnace. And if they're pure and they're right and they're done with the right attitude, and your heart was where it needed to be, and you did it unto God with joy, then it's going to abide. It's going to survive the furnace. It's going to still be there. The gold, the silver, and the precious stone will not be burnt up to nothing in a fire. Gold, silver, and precious stones will live through a fire. And it says that for the things, if your works live through this fire, then you're going to have a reward. So having a reward is a good thing. Say amen. Verse 15 says, if any work shall be, any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. So if you've been building all the wrong stuff, if you put wood, hay, and stubble into that same heat that the gold, silver, and the precious stone just went through, it's just going to not just burn up but disappear. There's going to be nothing left of it. So there's nothing left for God to reward. It says, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. He puts this last piece in there, not so lazy, carnal Christians can say, well, as long as I get to heaven, I don't care if I get in by the skin of my teeth, even if I go in with my tailcoat singeing. I get in by, 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 on fire. No, real Christians don't want to get in like that. Real Christians want to have something to show to God for, for the life that he blessed them with. He says, he himself shall be saved. That's after the punctuation. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. That's the thought. But here, here's an additional thought. He himself shall, shall be saved. God wants you to know this ain't about getting into heaven and get going to hell. Your whole life can count for nothing. And every good thing you ever thought you did, every church service you ever sat in, every dollar you ever gave to God, every person you ever ministered to, every message you ever preached, every song you ever led, every prayer you ever prayed can count for nothing. But if you're saved, you're still going to be saved. But you're just going to have nothing laid up in heaven. That's not a good thing. It's a good thing you get into heaven, but it's not a great thing that you have nothing as a result of it. And we'll see in a minute the, the big thing. Well, let's just go to the end and, and, and see the end from the beginning. Uh, go to the bottom of the notes, Kari, and, and put up uh, Revelation 4.10. Because we're going to get these rewards in heaven. And, well, take that off because they're reading it. Don't read on me. Faith comes by hearing. Read with me. Don't read on me. People say stuff like, oh, she's going to have lots of crowns in heaven because she's godly. Oh, he's going to have jewels in his crowns because he loves the Lord. Nobody wears a crown in heaven except Jesus. Okay, get that in your head. 
There's not going to be, you're not going to be walking around. People, I don't care if I'm just sweeping the golden streets, the dust off, the, if, if I'm the street sweeper in heaven. Uh, I don't care, just give me a closet and a broom. There's not going to be servants like that in heaven, and there's not going to be people living in big houses and little houses. There's not going to be, she got lots of crowns and you got nothing. It's going to be one crown, and everybody else is going to be worshiping the one person with the crown. Okay, but at the time, there are five specific crowns that the New Testament tells us that we can get. We don't keep them, though. Because there's a better thing to do with what you have that's precious to you than keeping it. And God has shown this from the very beginning. It's better to give than it is to receive. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. The Holy Spirit gives you strength. God gives us purpose. God has always shown giving to be better than receiving. And so what we get to do with what God gives to us Because your works survived the test. Were they pure? They survived the test, so you get a reward. Keeping that reward would mean very little to a true Christian. But being able to say to Jesus, I wish I would have done better, but this is what I've done and this is what I have and I want to give it to you. That's going to be a glorious time for a true believer because here's what the true believer already knows. That he's done more for me than I could ever do for him. That I wanted to have something to show for my life to prove to him when I see him that I love him. If you don't want to have something to show for your life to prove to him that you love him, you can't convince me that you love him. And you can't fool him into believing it either. Listen to Revelation 4.10. You put it on the screen now. It says, the four and twenty elders, that's a representative term for all the Christians who are in heaven, fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You should want to have a gift to give to God when you get to heaven. There's no gift store in heaven to buy Him something when you get there, and you have no currency to buy it with. Your currency is the life that you have right now and the time to obtain any treasure that you will be able to give to him is right now. The life that you are building on the foundation that Jesus has given you will determine if you have anything to live, leave him, give to him when you get to heaven. And please understand of yourself, if you don't care whether or not you have something to give him, Understand of yourself, you don't love him. You don't know him. You're not born again. That's not the thinking of a Christian human being. That's not the thinking of someone who loves another person. If the person you cared about the most, the matriarch, the patriarch of your family, if your grandmother was having her 99th birthday and everybody was supposed to bring some, something to, to, to grandma, and you, you came and, and, and you showed up and you had nothing to give. If that don't bother you, if everybody else is giving something to her and you have nothing to give to her and that don't bother you, you don't love her right. And while millions of people are offering gifts of their life's love work to Jesus Christ for the love that they receive from him, if you can be okay to have nothing to give to him, then you don't love him right. 
When Jesus says, I left heaven and I came and I suffered and I bled and I died for you. And I gave you everything you needed to succeed in life. Now let's look and see what you've done for me. And he puts all of your goodness through the fire. And it comes out as nothing. The Bible says, at that time, some will suffer loss. Some will get reward and some will suffer loss. What a loss to know that you made claim out of your mouth that you love Jesus more than anything, but you have nothing to give him on judgment day, that your life really accounted for zero, but you got it into heaven by his grace. I want you to get it, but I can't make you understand that you should want to have something to give to the Lord when you get to heaven. You ought to want to present him with something. You ought to want to be, you ought to want to be able to Give him a gift. Let's look at these five things real quick. Five crowns that theologians have targeted through the New Testament that are clearly seen in Scripture that Christians can earn that we can possibly one day present to the Lord if we earn them with the right spirit and the right agenda. First is the crown imperishable or the incorruptible crown. And you get this crown for living a godly life. You don't get into heaven for living a godly life. You get into heaven if you're saved. But you can get a crown, an incorruptible crown, for living a godly life. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So the scripture says that Christians are striving to win an imperishable crown. In 2 Timothy 2, 5, the word says, And if a man strive for masteries, yet he's not crowned, except he strive lawfully. There's a way to win a crown. Here they're talking about these games, these Greek games. They were like the prelude to the Olympics that we see now. And they would win the race, and they would be given a crown. Then their crown was a floral crown. Um... And they would put it on their head and take a victory lap around the track. But they didn't give a crown to the winner of the race if the winner cheated. You have to follow the rules. You can't jump the gun. You can't run outside the lines. You have to stay in your lane. You have to live by the rules. And as Christians, see, it's real common to hear churches say, Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not, you're not saved based on do's and don'ts, but you're rewarded based on do's and don'ts. And you're punished based on do's and don'ts. And this whole movement away from do's and don'ts has created a lazy generation of Christians that will have nothing to present to God on Judgment Day. I don't have to do anything to go to heaven because God saved me on the cross. Yeah, that is correct. You really want to stand before Jesus empty-handed. You really want, you really want to inherit eternal life, a mansion in heaven, paradise eternally at no price for you. There's something wrong with that kind of, kind of thinking. Incorruptible crown for living a godly life. Second crown is a crown of rejoicing. It's also called the soul winner's crown. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, 
This, this is Paul, and he's talking for himself and some other apostles when he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? And there are other verses of Scripture, but here, here's what he's saying. This is, this, is what, this is what we're working for. You, the fact that we led you people to Christ, that, that's, that's where our hope is. That's where our joy is. We get a crown of rejoicing because we were directly used by God to win you to Jesus. Now, here's the reality. Some people will never win anybody to Christ, the way we call leading people to Christ. I can remember uh, it was probably two years before we started this church. Came home one night, and we were involved in a ministry uh, that saw lots of people get saved. And I was typically leading 10 to 50 people a week to Christ. And Gail was working inside this ministry, and I was always the one leading people to Christ. It would just be like if you came to food and clothing, and we pray with people who come through food and clothing and give them an opportunity to accept Christ. If I went in there one week and we sat side by side and every week I led 10 people to Christ and you said the same thing I said to them and you never led anybody to Christ. And the next week came back, same thing happened. Next week came back, same thing happened. You, you could get to the place where she got to and she's like, I've shared the gospel with so many people. But it seems like every time you share the gospel with people. They prayed to receive Christ, and she was upset because she had been a faithful Christian who had shared the gospel with many people but had never been there to be the one to pray with them when they got saved. And she felt like she would never led anybody to Christ. I said, well, you know the Bible says one plants, one waters. God gives the increase. There's no, there, there's, there's no uh, special um, ability that you give to lead somebody to be the one that prays. You just happen to be there. It's about, are you sharing the message? And the scripture says, for those who are out there sharing the message, because whether you plant, whether you water, you're involved in their salvation process. And I shared that with her. And cool thing happened as often. Once you let go of what's upsetting you and you stop focusing on it, soon and very soon you'll notice it starts happening on its own organically. And about a month later, she started praying with lots of people to receive Christ and that you know, she felt like a monkey was off her back, but the only reason it was on her back was because she kept feeding it. She, she kept paying attention to the fact when God wasn't upset with her because she was being faithful to share. For people who are faithful to share, planters and waterers, whether you're the one that prays with them to get saved or you're the one that shared the gospel with them and, and, and brought them to somebody else who prays with them to get saved, the, the, the apostles said that there's this crown of rejoicing for those who have been led to Christ. Now, I wonder, don't answer out loud, but if you had to answer right now, if I, if I just went row by row and said, name everybody right now that you know for sure you're directly responsible for their being a, them being a Christian right now, how many people have you led to Christ? Most people would not have a ready answer. If you have a ready answer, that's good. If you don't have a ready answer, work on it. Work on being responsible for having somebody else be in heaven. Ray Boltz sings a song called Thank You for Giving to the Lord. It's an incredible song. Um, it, it's a scene where people go to heaven and they're meeting all these people that they never knew. And this one kid comes up to him um, and says, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. And he, he tells the man, uh, You used to teach my Sunday school class when I was only eight. And 
that he said that every week you'd say a prayer before the class would start. And one week when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. And that man didn't even know that that eight-year-old boy had asked Jesus in his heart. He was just being faithful to share the gospel. But it was revealed in heaven. Why? Because there's a crown of rejoicing given to people who are faithful to share the gospel. I don't even hear him talk about it anymore. Pastor of the church I got saved in, all he ever talked about was soul winning. And we didn't have visitation. We had soul winning visitation. That's how it was written in the bulletin. Soul winning visitation. Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And I don't even hear people talking about that anymore. Why? Because most people aren't actively involved in leading people to Christ. There was a period in my life where... Probably two days didn't go by where I didn't lead a stranger to Christ for several years in my life. I was going out every day just knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus, walking up to people in tables, strangers in booths. I've led people to Christ on their knees, on greasy floors, in Popeyes, uh, in Shoney's, in, in, in places all over. That's how I met Bishop. At 1 o'clock in the morning, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, he was sitting in Shoney's on 103rd Street. I was about to leave. I felt led of the Spirit to walk over and talk to him. I walked over and talked to him. I asked, did he have a minute I could share with him how he could have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? He pretended to be unsaved. He gave me about five minutes to give my speech, laughed, said, told me that's a good speech for a Baptist, and uh, put, put his arm around me and told me he was a preacher. And we ended up driving over to his church, sat there till about 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I mean, well, stayed for about an hour at his church, walked through the ditch. He lived behind the ditch across the ditch behind the church, sat in his living room about 4 o'clock that morning. But that's how I met him, in an attempt to lead him to Christ. I don't hear anybody talking about their attempts to lead people to Christ anymore. Will you have any crown to give? Very few people are going to have an incorruptible crown because the Bible says you don't get it unless you strive lawfully. You don't get the godly life crown. Unless you play by the rules, and most people don't play by the rules. So most people can cross that off and just know, I'm too carnal to ever get that. So let, let's sign up for the next event. The next event is the crown of rejoicing. Well, do you ever talk to anybody? Do you invite people to church? Do you ever tell people God loves you? Do, do you ever share your faith with anybody? If you don't, you cross that one off. You'd be 0 for 2. You can enter the next event. The crown of righteousness. This is the crown for those who love his appearing. In 2 Timothy 4, 8, the Bible says, And now the prize awaits me, Paul talking, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. Paul was confident. He knew. Jesus is the righteous judge, and there's a crown waiting on me in heaven that he's going to give to me on that great day of his return. Well, the good news is, at the end of the verse, he says, and, that's not all, the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. Paul knew. And Paul wasn't being proud. Paul was being factual. Paul was telling his people, look, y'all better start laying up some stuff in heaven because I got crowns in heaven. And I'm going to give them to Jesus. What you going to give to Jesus? I got, Paul said, there's a crown. This prize is waiting on me. This crown of righteousness is already there. He knew it was already there for him. And he says who it's for. It's not just for him, but it's for everybody who eagerly looks forward to his glorious return. 
So this crown is for people who are longing for and eagerly looking for the return of Christ. Do you ever think that today could be the day? Do you ever really live, do you ever live that way though? Do you ever think, I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to do more today because this might be the last day I have to, to win somebody to Christ. I, 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 need to, I, need to, I need to bless somebody better today because this might be my last day. Jesus might come back today and there'd be no more time left for me to reach grandmama. See, the person who is eagerly looking for the return of Christ has an urgency about their life that doesn't put off till tomorrow what they need to do today. Most people don't have this urgency. Most people are living a complacent life. We're just bumping our way through life stupidly. Just honestly, just like, you know, bouncing around in the dark, just letting the day drag us on. The day drags most of us through it more than we press our way past it. Life just carries us through it more than we carry ourselves through it or allow God to carry us in it. So it's not so much that we did anything to get from Monday to Tuesday. Monday just got us to Tuesday. That's a life with no purpose. That's a life with no focus. That's a life with no vision. That's a life with no urgency. If you don't have an urgency about you that says, I got to do everything I can do today because this might be my last day. on Paul told everybody, the day of the Lord is at hand. His return is soon. He's coming back. Why did Paul say he was coming back? Because Jesus said, I will return. I will come back for you. And Paul believed that. 2,000 years later, we stopped believing it. Why? Because he, he hadn't done it yet. All the people died saying that same stuff. People, people died. Got this crown, though. They didn't see him come back, but they got this crown because they lived like he was coming back. But just because he hasn't come back doesn't mean he's not coming back. just means he hasn't come back yet. So think in your own mind. Do you really live every day with a loving, longing, urgent desire that says, Today could be the day i got to do everything I can. Paul did. So he said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he knew that crown was waiting for him. This is a crown that you can get. This crown is easier to get than an incorruptible crown because the incorruptible crown says you have to play by the rules. Easier to get than the soul winner's crown because very few people are active in sharing their faith. You ought to be able to wake up every morning with a realization that Jesus said he's coming back and be able to live your life with that focus. Fourth crown, it's a hard one to get. The crown of life, also called the martyr's crown. This is the one crown there's no debate on who gets it. Every other crown you can debate whether or not a person will get it or whether they won't, except for Paul because he said he was getting it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. It was in Scripture. But this crown is the definitive crown. In Revelation 2.10, it says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is the martyr's crown. This is the martyr's crown for people who die for their faith. And that's why I say it's definitive. Either you did or you didn't. It's not like maybe he played by the rules good enough to get that crown. Maybe she didn't. No, you either died for your faith or you didn't. Now, I will remind you. I think most people would die for their faith. I really do. I think it's heroic and amazing 
One, one, of the, one of the favorite books I ever read, and I believe every Christian should read it. It's not an easy book to read, not because the reading's difficult or because it's gory or hard to stomach, but just the wordiness of it and the skipping around of time frames inside of it. Uh, but it's a book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it goes through a lot of different ages of Christian martyrs and persecution inside the Christian church. And um, I admire people who love God enough that they actually did give their life for their faith. But I honestly believe most Christians would. I mean, God, my pastor, first church I went to, he was, you know, he was way theatrical and dramatic and tried to scare everybody all the time. And say, so if they came in in masks right now and, and, and machine guns and said, deny Christ or be killed. Everybody who wants to uh, confess Jesus, stand up right now. We'll shoot you dead or remain seating as your way of denying him. And he'd say, how many of y'all would stand up? Yeah, everybody would say they would stand up. Of course, everybody wouldn't stand up. I mean, you know, dudes with guns, actually, you know, they pulled the first trigger. Somebody's going, oh, I was kidding. <laughs> Let me take my little behind back to this chair. But I truly believe under that scenario that quite a few people would die for their faith. Because it only takes that long to die. I mean, it could take a minute or two. I mean, depending on where they shot you. Hopefully they, they shoot you with a high-powered enough weapon that it create mass damage in a hurry. But either way, it's only going to take a couple of minutes to die for your faith. Now, these people in the, in, the, in the book of the Revelation, in the time of tribulation, they're getting their heads chopped off. So this is instantaneous. That's just, I mean, anybody can do that. Lay your head down. Chop it off. You automatically wake up in heaven with a, with a new head and a crown on it. That's bonus. <laughs> guaranteed. This is the guaranteed crown. Because this is not iffy. This is not relative. This is not subjective. This is not, did you play by the rules or not? Did you every day longingly look for his appearing or not? Did you share your faith consistently? Or, this, this is the definitive crown. You either died for it or you didn't. But I think anybody that really loves the Lord would die. Because we'd all die for what we love. Everybody die for their child. No question. Ask a mother. If they're going to come in here right now and cut either your head off or your child's head, every mother's laying her head down. Am I right? There's not even a question about that. Yeah, you kill me before you kill the person I love. That's no question. So I think anybody who really loves the Lord would, would, would die for their faith. And I'm not saying that it's easy, and I'm not saying that it's not valuable. Obviously, valuable, there's a crown for it. But I think the more difficult thing than dying for him is living for him. Because that's not instantaneous. That's day by day. That, that's, that's something you got to get up and do again all over tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. So don't rejoice that you believe you'd die for Christ. That's, anybody could do that. Rejoice when you really determine that you'll live for him. Last one and I'm done. Fifth crown, the crown of glory. This is for a very select group of people. It's also called the pastor's crown. And it's not pastors the way people walk around calling themselves pastors today. I hear about people saying, oh, my, my, my uncle just became a pastor in his church. My aunt just became a pastor in her church. My so-and-so just but was ordained to be a pastor. We, you got pastors of dishwashing, children's pastors, worship pastors, assistant pastors, uh, you know, administrative pastors, executive pastors, uh, 
All, that's not, none of them are qualified to get this crown. And listen, I've been a singles pastor. I've been a youth pastor. I've been a young married couples director. I've been an intercessory prayer pastor in different churches all coming up through ministry. And I've been the pastor of a church. And I can promise you this, all those other titles are off on a separate side of the room. And pastoring a church is on an island by itself. Totally different ballgame. Totally different ballgame. When, when they're talking about the pastor's crown, it's not talking about for the, the, the pastor of lawn maintenance. Okay, listen to what the scripture says. First Peter, nope, not that the pastor of lawn maintenance is not valuable, but he can't get this crown. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That's who. This crown is for the person that shepherds the flock. This is, this is, this is a, a, a one-man show. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not dishonest, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is... God's word to what we would call senior pastors, overseers, under shepherds. I don't think very many pastors are going to get this crown. There's a lot of, you have to strive lawfully to be rewarded the crown, the Bible says. You have to play by the rules. To win this event, you have to have checked all the boxes. And this says that you can't do it for dishonest gain. You have to be eager to do it. I'm not always eager to put on my pastor role. Sometimes I just want to be left alone. And maybe that will mean I won't get this crown. And that's sad to me because I've given my life to the ministry. And it's cost me a bunch. Here's a reason a lot of people won't get it. Verse 3, 1 Peter 5, 3 says, Nor is being lords over those entrusted to you. I don't know when the world got twisted. But all these pastors walking around with people washing their car and carrying their laundry to the dry cleaners for them. Carrying their Bible up on the stage for them. 30 members, 10 of them armor bearers. Assistant armor bearers, armor bearers in training. Everybody sucking up to the preacher, him lording himself over everybody. There's a fine line between honoring the pastor, which the Bible says you should give him double honor. More than anybody else in the world, you should honor your pastor. But there's a difference between honor and worship. And I see too many preachers wanting their church to worship them. Walk around like they're a rock star. Walk around like they're up here and everybody else is down here. And the only thing that I do that I believe that could be confused for any of that is coming in late to the service. And I wrestle with it. And every time I don't do it, I'm reminded why I need to do it. See, because the reason why most of these pastors come in late for service 
It's because, and I've been there. I've been with them, traveling around the world to some of the largest churches in America and sat in the pastor's office while we were waiting to come out, waiting for him to make his appearance. They're back there telling dirty jokes, checking email, being carnal. And then when they decide, uh, and, and they say stupid things like, well, these fools probably done singing by now. Let's go on and get out there. This is not somebody who's going to win any crown from God. And then they make their procession in, a big show, as to be seen. I want you all to know the reason I come in the way I come in is because I want to come in straight from prayer. And because when I come in early, invariably, somebody wants to come up to me and ask me one or two questions and, and tell me one or two things and say something to unnerve me or unsettle me and to get me out of my anointing to preach. Okay? I don't come in with nobody carrying my Bible for me, nobody carrying my water. I see these people. I, I saw a conference. God is my witness. This, this church had less than 30 people in it. The pastor got up to walk up. Two men stood up with him. One carried his Bible, and the other carried a handkerchief like this. There's 50 people in the whole building. I'm thinking, your whole job is to carry his, The guy carrying the Bible can't carry the handkerchief and the Bible at the same time. They walked up on stage. Man started talking, left dude there. Finally turned around, took the handkerchief from him. These preachers had little minions running behind them, serving and catering to them. Ain't no crown for these dudes. Zero. The Bible says you can't lord over those that have been entrusted to you. Come in there and make them treat you like you're God to them. That's not what this is about. But be an example to them. That's why I try to be as transparent as I can. That's why I try to be as real and as raw as I can be. If I came in here, I, I mean, maybe you could. I can't. I look at these preachers and, and hear them bragging. I heard one preacher tell, tell, told me about this. What do you think about this belt, Rev? Just hold your pants up. <laughs> Doc, I paid $780 for this belt. $780 for a belt. God is my witness. I, I have probably 30 suits in my closet. I hadn't paid... I ain't paid more than $1,000 for a suit ever in my life. He had over $8,000 on his body. Eight grand. Counting his $3,000 pair of shoes. What kind of man wears a pair of $3,000 shoes? See, that's not being... I can't receive from somebody wearing a suit. Bishop Harold Ray is probably the greatest speaker I've ever heard. You want to hear somebody talk? You Google Bishop Harold Ray out of South Florida. This man... He became a multimillionaire as a lawyer. African-American, best-looking dude you ever saw, smoothest brother on two feet. He sued big tobacco, won hundreds of millions of dollars, took about $30 million of his own money, started one of the largest ministries in the world. Um, and this dude, is he's got a, a vocabulary that is just flawless. But it's hard to listen to him. One, he's so good-looking. He can't help that. But two, the clothes he wears. 
It just is obvious. They don't sell that at Walmart (laughs) or Target. He did not buy that at JCPenney's. I promise you that. You can't buy that at Jose Bank. And the jewelry will blind you. Bishop Ray has rings on every finger, and they're just like, I mean, his hands are huge, but his rings are like, he got eight Super Bowl-looking rings on and a watch face on it about that big, diamonds everywhere, and, and bracelets and five chains coming across his top of his suit. Like, whoo. Now, his church is primarily women. And they're all like this. Uh, Bishop Ray's a good man. He may get this crown. But I can't receive from somebody who's wearing an $8,000 suit and talking in language that I don't believe they normally talk in. I rejected it. I took all the same classes that everybody with my level of education took in seminary. I took speech classes. I took homiletics classes, which teach you the art of preaching, saying things in a preaching voice. And I had a professor tell me, Scott, I can work that country out of you. You will never be an effective speaker sounding like Gomer Pyle. He told me that in a room full of 30 people. I said, well, I'll never fake a voice just to be effective. And I looked at all the rest of them in the room because that's what they were doing. Because they study to say the words with inflection that drifts off to the point. But I don't long for that because I think they look like William Shatner instead of a human being that I could listen to. And it's way prevalent in the the black church. Not that level of foolishness, but NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which lulls you into a coma to where you don't remember what was said. You just remember you enjoyed it. Look up NLP. You'll find out the two greatest, the two greatest. Well, I'll give you the greatest. Dr. King, and I'm a big Dr. King fan. But anybody who only speaks three or four words at a time is playing with your head. Politicians do it to death. As we look at America, we face many challenges, both at home and abroad. The problems are many. Nobody talks like that. Unless they're playing, that is a linguistic programming. Just look up NLP. You'll understand it. But they teach this foolishness in seminary, how you control people in their head. And I can't receive from somebody who puts on a fake voice when they teach the scripture. Why? Because I don't believe that they're really being an example to the flock. I think they're being a phony. And I'm trying to play by the rules so I can get this crown. 
So there are crowns to gain for living right. Incorruptible crown for living a godly life. That's hard. But we need it. Crown of rejoicing for being a soul winner. Crown of righteousness for loving his appearing. The martyr's crown, which most of us will not get. And the crown of glory, which are only eligible to senior pastors. So realistically, how many does that leave for the average Christian? Three. So you better narrow one of these down. Because this is your only option to have anything to give to Jesus. You either better start living a godly life and playing by the rules so you can win your race. Because this is about running the race, playing by the rules. And you get this incorruptible crown. Or you better start sharing your faith with everyone you know. And inviting people to church and getting involved in people's salvation process. So you can have the crown of rejoicing or the soul winner's crown. Or you better start waking up every day living with an urgency that says he might come back today. Because it's the only three crowns most people have a shot at. And outside that you'll have nothing to give to Jesus. All your life will be wood, hay, and stubble and it'll burn up for nothing. Get one of these crowns before you die. Get one of these crowns to give to Jesus. Go to bed tonight knowing that this is the last night you have that you did all you could. Wake up tomorrow with, a, with an awareness that if this is the last day I have, I'm going to give God my all. Start living with a sense of urgency. Start sharing your faith everywhere you go. And start playing by the rules. So God will be able to graciously, no one would ever deserve any of these crowns. If he was a hard judge, he's a gracious judge. If he was a hard judge, we would get nothing. And the four and twenty elders in Revelation 4 would have nothing to present. But they, many of them had things to present. Why? Because his judgment is fatherly and not legalistically. Your dad knows if you're trying to play by the rules, even if you don't. I've never beaten Jake in a race in my life. I finally had to let him know that. Because he never let Seth win. And he told me one time, he said, if I let him win, he'll never, he'll never try harder. I said, if you never let him win, he'll get discouraged and he won't try at all. I said, you know, every, every video game you've ever beat me in, every basketball game you've ever beat me in, every foot race you've ever beat me in, it's only because I let you. I'll keep it close to the very end and let him win. So now Seth's mad. They play a lot of basketball, 2K17. And Jake tries to keep it close to the end. And Seth gets mad because when Jake loses, Jake tells him, well, I'll just let you win. Because <laughs> Jake tries to keep it close to the end. And, and, uh, and then so Seth stays in the game and then win at the end. But he'll let Seth get ahead sometimes and he won't be able to come back and he'll lose and he'll be mad. What am I saying? You don't have to really be the winner for your father to see you as a winner. He knows if you tried to do your best. I don't believe we got to check every single box to win that godly crown, to win that soul winner's crown, to win that crown of rejoicing. But I do believe that God knows your heart. And I hope your heart is to live a life that will matter for heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for...
caring for us. Thank you for being a giver. Help us, God, to live a life that would matter for heaven. Help us to lay up our treasures in heaven. Help us to focus on having something to give you in heaven. Because you said that where we put our treasure, that's where our heart would be. And we want our heart to be settled in heaven. God, I pray you fill us with your spirit and empower us to be and do all that you called us to be and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.